All right, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to North Village Church. Just a buzz of uh, Mother Day uh, celebration uh, in the audience. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Michael. Happy Mother's Day. Let's give a round of applause for, for moms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it going, right? We want to celebrate physical moms, spiritual moms, past moms, future moms. Like We just love motherhood, and so we're excited to celebrate uh, that as a, as a church family today. Hopefully, you got a candle. And if you're a female, you qualify for a candle, so please uh, take one of our uh, candles as a gift just to celebrate uh, motherhood. This morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you're, if you're new here this morning, please grab one of these devotionals. This is our gift to you. Turn to page 188. You can follow along uh, with us this morning. And, and also, we have tablets that go through the aisle, and that's our way to stay connected as a church family. And, uh, you know, if you're new, provide whatever information uh, you're comfortable with. We want to make it as easy as possible to learn about what Jesus is doing in North Village Church. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series called Heavenly Citizens. And we've titled the series Heavenly Citizens out of Philippians chapter 3, where God's word refers to those who are in Christ as citizens of heaven. Right? That doesn't mean we're waiting for heaven, but that when we are in Christ, our, our birth nationality is no longer of primary importance in our life. Right? If you were born in China or India or United Kingdom or United States or Mexico, that's great. That's just not what's primarily most important in our life. For those who are in Christ, Scripture says we are invited into this heavenly citizenship. All right, so right now in the news, we see a lot of coverage on immigration. We see a lot of debate on how a country organizes its border. It's very complicated to engage that conversation, but God's word makes it simple. It says the means by which we become citizens of heaven, it's not through meeting with a lawyer or filling out some paperwork or going through a class but that the only way we become citizens of heaven is by grace, through faith, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's it. It's Jesus who's lived the perfect life. It's Jesus who's paid the price for our sin, not his sin, but for our sin at the cross. It's Jesus who conquered death in the resurrection, and it's by grace, through faith in Jesus, that we become citizens of heaven, right? Just as the Statue of Liberty calls out to all nations to give me your tired, to give me your poor, your huddled masses, we see Jesus, we see God's word calling out to all nations, to all people, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus. And in the moment we do, we're heavenly citizens. This morning, God's word makes it really clear that our citizenship of heaven is glorious, but our citizenship of heaven also brings hardship. So we're going to look at three subpoints this morning. Hardship, hope, and Christ is worth it. So let's look at our first one, hardships. All right, grab that devotional. Turn to page 188. You're going to see some questions as to guide your time in God's Word throughout the week. This morning, we're just going to look at God's Word. We're going to read verses 19 to 21. I'll read. You follow along. 
says, for I know, that's the Apostle Paul, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So in the context of Philippians, we know the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. It's based on verse 12 from last Sunday. So if you're in your devotional, you look up to verse 12, you see he's writing from prison. Last Sunday, Roberto Matazuma walked us through verses 12 to 18. Wasn't that exciting? Yeah, wasn't that awesome? Yeah, this Sunday, Kimberly and Roberto, they're serving kids in Kids Village. So whether here uh, on a Sunday morning or there, they're proclaiming the name of Jesus, right? Isn't that good? Right? He did a great job. The Apostle Paul, in 19 to 26, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and the Philippian church, they're discouraged because the Apostle Paul is in prison, I mean, the Apostle Paul, he's at the height of his career. He's starting churches all over the Roman Empire. Lives are being transformed in Jesus, and Paul ends up prison. And so the Philippians are like, this doesn't sound like a good plan. Like, this is not working out very well. And, 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 and in the context of the, of the passages, passage, the Apostle Paul, he's chained to a praetorian guard that might have looked something like this. Right? We don't know for sure, but the Praetorian guards uh, would be chained to prisoners 24-7. So that Paul had a Praetorian guard on his hip for everything. When he slept, when he went to the bathroom, when he's writing this letter, when he's eating food. I mean, he, he has this, a Praetorian guard right to it. And right there in verse 19, the Apostle Paul encourages the Philippian church by reminding that he's confident of his deliverance. Do you see that in verse 19? He has, he has confidence in his deliverance. The deliverance isn't necessarily a deliverance from prison, because look, verse 20, it appears Paul's life is hanging in the balance. He's like, by life or by death. Do you see that in verse 20? Like, don't look at me, look at, look at God's word, look at your devotional. He says, whether by life or death. And so, I mean, we're talking about hardships this morning. I mean, the Apostle Paul finds himself smack dab in the middle of hardships, right? He's in prison, chained to a guard, wondering if he's going to live or die, verse 20. So then in verse 21, he writes these immortal, immortal words, for me, Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Just focus on those words. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. In the original language, in the Greek language, that statement is even more emphatic because there's no is in the Greek language. There's no verb is. And so it's just for me, for to me, or it's for me to live Christ, right? It's just emphatic. It's Christ to die gain, right? Verse 21 is just one of those verses just jumps off the page to you. It's so powerful. To live Christ, 
to die is gain. Like we, maybe you've heard this verse before. This is one of these verses you stitch onto pillows, right? You, you put it on your wall. You get it tattooed like on your bicep, you know. It's Christ gain, you know, just like, right? It's powerful. It's, it's a powerful image. We put it on T-shirts and coffee mugs. I mean, young people today, they have mottos. Young people today, y'all have mottos like YOLO, right? You only live once, right? If you're going through something difficult in life, YOLO, right? Not sure how it's all going to turn off, YOLO. You only live once, YOLO, right? But when you come to faith in Christ, we cast away those great mottos like YOLO, and we are given a new motto. In Christ, we are given a new guide, new directions. We're given for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so what I want to do is I just want to break, break that down. What does that mean, right? To live as Christ is to approach all of life as a follower of Jesus, right? Because we are in Christ, every decision we make is we, kinda, we filter through God's word, right? If we... We step into a career, we're going through college, we, we launch a, a family, we get married, we have an opinion about politics. It's all filtered. How we make friends, how we make decisions on our finances, how we go through pain, how we go through joy. It's to live is Christ. It's all filtered. Like as a follower of Christ in God's word, this is how I approach life. Before we come to faith in Jesus, we make decisions what is right in our own eyes, right? It's what makes sense to me based on my education, based on my experiences. This is how I was raised as a child, and so this is what I'm going to do for my ch children, right? based, based on our, our emotions, our past. Like, but we no longer do that. We lay those things aside, and now in Christ, we make decisions for Christ. In my life personally, I, I've recently seen my, my mom and my brother pass away in the last year. Therefore, my relationship with Jesus shapes how I walk through and grieve the passing of my brother and my mother. My personality, my, my experience, my default approach towards life is to block it out. As, as, as an American in my American culture of pull yourself up by your bootstraps to drink a six-pack, a suck it up, and just power through, like that's my default. It's just like, boom, it happened, keep going. But now, in Christ, as a heavenly citizen, I'm looking to grieve as one who is in Christ. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't really know what that means. I don't know how that works. And so I'm in a class right now, 13 weeks. 13 weeks of how to grieve. Because I, I don't want to grieve the way I did in my past. In my old life, I want to grieve as a follower of Jesus. I want to walk through that grief to live as Christ. But then the Apostle Paul, he follows up those powerful words, to die is gain. Isn't it funny that you don't see that stitched onto many pillows? You don't see many people getting tattoos of to die is gain, right? We love to live as Christ. What does that mean, to die is gain? 
Well, in the context of the passage, we have to remember the Apostle Paul is going through incredible hardship, right? He's in prison. He's chained to a guard. He's going through rejection over and over and over. And so that he's honestly thinking to himself, it would be easier to simply die. To die is gain. It would be easier to simply die and be face to face with Jesus. I'm guessing that some of us have been confronted with those types of thoughts before. I mean, perhaps we haven't been imprisoned and chained to a guard, but I'm guessing that some of us have been so overwhelmed by the weight of life, the hardships of life, that in, as a follower of Jesus, we, we become homesick. Have you ever been there? With such despair and such, such hardship that maybe you would never say it out loud, maybe you would never write it in a letter, but in your heart, you, you had moments where you, you thought to yourself, you're like, man, it'd be easier to be face-to-face with Jesus right now. What I want you to see in the second part of verse 21 is that God's word doesn't mask over the pain and hardship in life. I'm so glad you're here this morning. It's not exactly a Mother's Day message, but I'm so glad you're here because, because hardships are real in life. Pain is, is, is real. And, and, and God's word speaks to our pain. Like the other faiths, the other world religions, they, they try to tell you that, f- that pain's not real. Well, they'll try to say you just kind of block it out. It's like you just kind of meditate enough and you escape pain or you just kind of die and then that's how pain goes away. But for the follower of Jesus, there's like, there's like a real, real hope that I, 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 I can go and spend eternity with him. 2 Corinthians 5 eight, right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so this is a tension that only the follower of Christ has and God's word meets us in that pain. In Philippians 1, we get to see how God's people walk through real pain and real hardship. So let's look at the hope. Verses 22 to 24. We see the reality of hardship in verses 19 to 21. So let's look at the, the hope in verses 22 to 24. Some of y'all are thinking, like, Michael, I need some hope. It's Mother's Day. Let's look at verse 22. It says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this is the Apostle Paul, he's prisoned, he's chained to a guard, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Huh? <laughs> I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Is to die gain? I mean, it is for the Apostle Paul. At the end of verse 22, he's writing, I don't know which to choose. That's how real it is for him. He's not masking it. He's not making up hardship. He's like, I'm in it. I don't know which to choose. I mean, it'd be great to be face-to-face with Jesus for eternity. Verse 23 says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. That word hard-pressed in the original language means genuinely distressed. That he's genuinely looking at it. And he's like, I mean, I don't know. 
They both seem like good options. That's what he's describing there. He's in prison. He's being threatened for his life, and he's genuinely wondering. It'd be very much better. He's in genuine distress. Have you, you just got to think to yourself, I mean, have you had those types of moments? I mean, maybe, maybe not to that despair, but maybe. I, I don't know. We're all coming from different places. Have you had those types of moments where you're just like, oh, oh. like it'd be nice just to get away, get in the car and just drive, right? Oh, this is so beautiful about God's word. It doesn't mask over our pain. doesn't cherry, uh, sugarcoat it, kind of just like just grins and smiles, Jesus. Like it's just like, oh, man, pain is real. I know I have. I'll be honest with you. Like, I, the last year of my life, personally, like I've I've had some I've had some low moments. I haven't lived in it for like days and weeks and months, but I've I've had some moments like right. You that exhale, like right, and you just you just get the life. Sometimes, like you, you <laughs> hardships in life, you're you're either you've either had them. You're in them, or you're going to have them, right? And then sometimes there's some punches in the gut, and you're just like, <sighs> like, I, I, I think that's like our whole world right now. Like our whole world is, is, is being confronted just with the hardships of life, and, and you can see it clearly if you look at the travel industry, like, have you noticed the travel industry? I mean, they've been on hiatus for a couple of years, and so they're looking, you know, they've been storing up some ideas. And so they are doubling down on the whole idea of, like, want to get away? Right? They know we've been cooped up in our houses. They know, like, just the weight of life has been on, on top of us. And, and, and just almost every travel ad is just painting this of, like, your life is probably horrible, but if you got to this destination, it would be so much better. Ewan McGregor has one right now. Um, Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? The, the wisest person of our day like, has one right now, is, is walking through like a television set kind of, kind of thing. And, and uh, he just poses the question of like, are you going to look back on life and wish, you ever seen this one? Are you going to look back on life and wish that you would have got a, a, a better smartphone? Are you going to look back on life and wish that you had a, a thinner television on your wall? You and McGregor, like with a Scottish accent, you're just like, this sounds so good. Yeah? He's like, you're going to look back in life and are you going to think, I wish I was in the office more? And then the camera pans to a door. And beyond that door, I mean, it just builds with anticipation that all the hope for life is beyond. And then he looks right at the camera and he says, or are you going to look back on life? Are you going to think about all the exotic places, right? And the door opens to this exotic beach with like a horse walking on the beach or something like amazing. And you, you eat it up. We eat it. We're like, yes, yes. Why am I not on an exotic beach with Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, that would be so good. Why am I in this place when I could be in this place? That's exactly what God's word is pressing into. 
Because God's word knows when we're face to face with hardship, we think about quitting. We think about getting out of here. And maybe some of us are there right now. I'm so glad that God brought you here this morning. Not to hear me or our church, but to hear God's word. Because hardships are real. I'm so glad you're here. Because you get to see where God's word is pointing us to the hope to walk through the hardship. Look at verse 24. Where does the Apostle Paul find his hope to keep fighting for hardships? He says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. That's the Philippian church. That's the Philippian church. Yes, our hope is in Christ, and we're, we're going to get to that uh, with our third subpoint. But the Apostle Paul is looking at the reality of pain. He's looking at the reality of hardship in his life, and he concludes pouring his life into the Philippian church. It's more worthy. It's, it's more important than, than escaping the hardship and being face-to-face with, with Jesus in eternity. Like, think about that for a second. Like, his, 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 his life in Christ is glorious. He's like, I want to be I just genuine. He's distressed. I want to be with him. But it's more worthy, it's more glorious for me to pour my life into you so that you also may know of the glory of Jesus. That's what he's doing. That's what he's processing. Listen to me. It doesn't mean pain isn't real. It doesn't mean pain doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about our pain, but that the Apostle Paul He's looking at the glorious life he has in Jesus. He says, it's it's better to give my life for you to know him. Isn't that good? And it spurs him on to keep fighting. It spurs him on to persevere through the hardships of life. It's like those moments when when you're out to dinner, you're, you're at home, and you taste a dessert. Right? You're just like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. What's our immediate? We're just like, oh, my gosh, taste this. And then what we do, like, oh, my gosh, you got to taste this. We go see a movie, and it's like this amazing movie, you know, something like Inception, where we're just like, what did I just watch? You know, Beautiful Mind, which is like, I don't even know what just happened. You know, Matrix, remember when you saw that in the theater? Just like, what just happened, right? And you go and you tell everybody you got to go see this movie. That's what it's like for the Apostle Paul. Like, he's tasted a Jesus. He's in hardship. He's in pain. He's like, Jesus is so good in my life. Like, I'd love to get out of this hardship, but I'm like more, more excited, more passionate, more worthy of my life for you, for your sake. Isn't that amazing? I mean, keep in mind, when he says your sake, the Apostle Paul, he's just thinking about the Philippian church. He's right into the Philippian church. He's going to end up influencing millions after this imprisonment. For thousands of years, he's going to get out of prison. He ends up writing 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He ends up taking the gospel to Crete. He takes the gospel to Spain. And he's influenced by God's grace. His words have influenced millions of men, women, and children for thousands of years so that when he writes, for your sake, the Apostle Paul has no idea how big that your is. And that's what gives him the hope to persevere through the hardships 
of our day. So let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about how Christ is worth it. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. Y'all are kind of quiet today, so I don't know, man, it's just process, and this is kind of, stay with me. What does the Apostle Paul know about Jesus that would move him to have this kind of outlook? Verse 25, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So convinced of what? Verse 24. For for him to remain for your sake. He's like, I'm convinced of this. Convinced that he will remain on earth in the flesh, proclaiming the name of Jesus. The word progress in verse 25 means to advance. He doesn't want the Philippian church just to know about Jesus. He doesn't want them just to profess their faith in Jesus. He wants them to advance in their faith. He wants them to grow. He wants them to mature so that the Philippians' confidence would abound. At first reading, it sounds like that it would abound in the Apostle Paul. He says, not in me, but in Christ. You see that? Paul wants them to be in awe of Jesus, that Christ is worth it. He's worth it. So let's bring that into our lives. What does that look like practically? This is difficult to grasp. This is difficult, right? So let's bring it into our world practically. Typically, our default response is to avoid hardship at all costs, right? Can we just agree upon that? There's like 1% of us that love hardship. You're weird, right? For most of us, we don't like hardship. Our primary motivation in life is to organize our life in such a way to not have hardship, right? Right? We don't, <laughs> we don't like it. We want to ignore it. We want to block it out. We want to get away from hardship as, as much as possible. And it can be hardship in our jobs. It can be hardship in our marriage and in our political climate and in our in our health in our finances and our in our friendships like we just you know we don't like it and for the most part when we find ourselves in hardship our our default is like what i did something wrong have you noticed that like if we find yourself you stumble into hardship you're like did i take a wrong turn somewhere because i'm in hardship god doesn't want me in hardship right? He wouldn't want me in hardship. I must have turned the wrong direction. I should have taken a right instead of a left. I shouldn't be dating that person. I shouldn't go to this church. I should change this job because he wouldn't want me in hardship, would he, right? But God's word is teaching us to find hope in hardship by pouring our life into the things of Christ. This is the hope for those of us who are heavenly citizens, for those of us who are in Christ, to know Jesus ourselves. We're in this hardship. I want to know Jesus. I want to grow in Jesus. I want the gospel in me to advance. I want there to be progress. I want to be growing in my relationship with Jesus. And also, I want to look around, right? I want to look around to see how others in my life Acts 17 says he's determined the times and places in which we live. And so how might I, in whatever way, help others grow in Jesus. So he says in verse 24, but for your sake, I'll keep going. Yes, it's hard. I would very much rather be with Jesus. 
but for your sake, I'll keep going. So practically, as I walk through grief in my life personally, I told you earlier, my impulse is to not do it. I went to the funerals. I cried. I want to move on. I don't want to think about it. I've noticed that even right now, there's, there's been a sense in me of fear around life and death, especially to my family members that are closest to me. Like, I find myself, like, my impulse, my default is, like, I want to hang on to them tighter. I'm just like, have you gone to the doctor? Are you healthy? Are you driving safe? Like, look, there's some death in my life, and, I, and, and I'm like, I want to keep everybody alive as long as possible because my default is, like, I'm all done, I'm all done with death, right? I'm kind of like, I'm full on death. Like, so let's, let's avoid death as much as possible. Do you see it? Like, that's my, that's my default, but God's word is teaching me to lean into things of Jesus. The things of Christ have never been more important than when you're being confronted with life and death. Right? Especially when you're confronted with life and death, there's nothing more important than Jesus. So as I walk through that grief, I'm learning, I'm not there, but I find that hope. Well, I want to know him. Like it's never become more important or never more clear that it's important to know him, to be growing him, that my foundation is him, and then for the people around me to know him. Today we're celebrating motherhood. Let's just apply it to another area of life, motherhood, right? I'm sure any of our moms, physical or spiritual, could have a myriad of stories about hardship in motherhood, right? <laughs> There's some hardship, maybe, maybe not in prison, maybe a little bit in prison, right? You got your own Praetorian guard you're chained to. And, and, and so you're just like, there's hardship. And so what does our culture teach moms, females of the day, to navigate the hardship of motherhood? What's the message? Don't do it. That's the predominant message for a young woman today. Don't give your life to a child. Instead, give your life to a career. As though that's going to mean no more hardship in your life. What? That doesn't make any sense, but that's the message today. You talk to the majority of young teenage females, they will tell you they're not interested in having children. They will tell you they're very excited about their career, and then they will call themselves because I am a feminist. And I think to myself, I don't think you know what feminism means, right? But in, in the midst of the hardship, God's words teach, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't jettison childhood, motherhood. Well, is there, is there anything more glorious than to pour God's word, the things of Christ, into children? I mean, a career is great. Go get a career. Once you leave, your name's off the door. They forget about you. Like it's fleeting. The vacations, they're fleeting. Like everything else in the world is fleeting. But to pour God's word into little hearts and minds is glorious. It's not just physical motherhood. Like every time you serve with Kids Village, oh my gosh, it's not a duty, it's not imprisonment. It's not an obligation. It's glorious. My children, they're 17 and 14, they will testify. They have testimonials of, of the adults that have mirrored what mom and dad 
on Sunday mornings. Mom and dad say it at home, and then they hear it from other adults in their church family. They still talk about their Sunday school teachers. What a glorious opportunity. Physical, spiritual, pouring our lives into children, into all people, pouring Jesus into them. I mean, is there anything more important to teach our children to navigate the hardships of life than Jesus? The one that will carry them through every hardship in life? I mean, Jesus is the one who dwells in eternal city of heaven, and he steps out of it. That's what Philippians 2, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, says that, that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's in, he's in heaven, and he let it go to step into creation, to walk among us. He's to take on the form of a bondservant, the flesh of a man, so that he might live a perfect life and put himself to death at the cross, to not take his sin, but to take our sin. He, it's at the cross that Jesus encounters the greatest hardship of humanity, and then he conquers that hardship in the resurrection so that whoever calls on his name will be able to navigate any hardship in life. Is there anything more glorious than that? That's Jesus. He's worth it. So you, you have uh, hardships in your job, in your marriage, in your health, uh, in your finances, in your politics. But the hope of God's word is to pour your life into the things of Christ. To not get swept up with kind of just navel-gazing at, at all, the, all the pain and, and hardship of our day. Because there is. And instead, to lift up your eyes, right? That's what we're doing right now as a church family. To lift up your eyes and look around. It's the most powerful thing that every, everyone has. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Word of life comes out of you. Like every one of us have that opportunity to lift up our eyes, to look around, to continue. We want to continue to lift up our eyes and look around for those who have, have drifted during the pandemic. We want to care. We want to care for those who are walking through our door, and we want to challenge. We challenge one another to share the gospel. There's this card, the three-circle gospel presentation. Can you think of a time that's more important to be proclaiming the name of Jesus, the gospel? Is it, I don't know why, but nobody's turned in a card yet. We've been talking about this since September of 2021. I say this in the most loving way. Like, why has nobody turned in a card yet? I know you're sharing the gospel. Some of you have told me stories of how you've used the three circles. Please, they're, they're at the table here. They're in the, out in the, in the foyer. Get this card. Put your name on it. Turn it into the basket. Let's celebrate. Proclaiming the gospel. And if you're pushing back and you're like, well, I don't want to put my name on a card because I don't want to bring attention to myself. Get over it. Nobody's impressed with you. Nobody cares. Share the gospel. You say, well, I don't like to share the three circles. I like to share it this way. Come on. Look, if you have hundreds of people responding to Jesus, then okay, you stay in your lane. But it, it, otherwise, find as many ways to share the gospel. And the three-circle gospel presentation is a fantastic way to do it. Why not add to your vocabulary? 
Use it. Share it. Fill this out. Now, never more important to be proclaiming the things of Christ to the people around us. Please, please do that. Respond. Let's close with this. We've talked about every word on this page, but those first, those first two words. For to me. Listen, those first two words are so important. Are you, you don't have the hope that God's word is, is offering us this morning if the name of Jesus hasn't become personal. That's what the apostle, it's personal for the apostle Paul. He says, for me, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so that's, that's the question that God's word has for every one of us today. Has Jesus become personal? I mean, do that today. I, I don't care if you've never trusted Jesus or you, you, you've, you've known Jesus for, for, for decades. Like, he has to become personal. For me to live is Christ has to become personal. And if not, do that today. Make today the day that Jesus becomes personal. To live is Christ. And that every decision we make in life is for him, by him, and through him. Won't you do that? Don't leave here today without doing that. We're going to have people at the back, at the front, to pray with you, to talk with you. Do that today. Make Jesus, the name of Jesus, personal today. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes?